This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net to Sanderson, Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Drew. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great Scott. Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. All right, welcome into episode 62 of the Skate Podcast. And before we get into it, Bridget Pruce, Scott McLaughlin, myself, Brian D. Felice, this marks the 20th episode of the three of us together. So I know it's happy episode. Anniversary. Happy anniversary, guys. I mean, man, it feels like it's been 10 years doing it with you guys. It's been. <laughs> Is that how Wait, bad it's, it's, it's been? dragged that much? Uh, it's been brutal. <laughs> Um, I dread every time I come in here to do it with you guys. Uh, no, but all, it's it's been it's been awesome. I mean, twenty episodes kind of flew by. Um, the first few we did was talking about how mediocre they were last year and going into the deadline, and then since then, you know, a lot's happened. Um, but we've had a great time doing it. So, getting forward to our first full season together. Um, but with that said, how are you guys doing? I'm good. good. We're we're into it now. We got two preseason games under our belt. Well, Bruins back at the Garden uh, Thursday night. New so. a new jumbotron. Yeah. Oh wow! Exciting. Yeah, yeah. We'll, mm. we'll save a half hour at the end for that one. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Okay. So yeah, Scott, you mentioned it. So hockey's back. They've had two preseason games, and I guess um, Bridget will go to you first. Um, your, your biggest takeaway from the first the first few games that you've seen. Obviously, none of the the key players have have gone in yet, or the top players. But you know, there's been a lot of questions in the offseason about the bottom six forwards and. We've seen both their goaltenders, so what's jumped out to you so far? Yeah, so you mentioned the goaltending, and I think that's the most important thing so far that seeing four different goaltenders for the Bruins, the most important uh, to get a look at is Jeremy Swayman and Linus Allmark, and because um, nobody's seen him play for the Bruins yet and just trying to get a gauge of uh, what he could be, I think... I didn't see any signs that would make me think, okay, this is a this was a really bad move. Like he's he moved well, he looked good, and Swayman. I mean, Swayman was very aggressive in his time in the preseason and made a few really nice sa- saves sliding over. So I think the goaltending looks solid, and I know that's one of the biggest question marks of the season. You know, not having Tuukka Rask in there, and he's been somebody who backstopped the team for a long time, and still a question mark whether or not he'll. Make his way back to Boston, um, and it'll be a big point of conversation uh, throughout the season. So that's what I was looking at most, just because we'll get into it later. We have a guest coming on. Um, Anthony Kwiatkowski joins us later on in the podcast to talk about the young guys, but um, he runs, hard to kind of... hard to. He, he, he runs the Bruins on... Tw- what is it on Twitter? Bruins just, Network. He yes. runs the Twitter uh, account, Bruins Network on Twitter. And so he helps. He'll help us get into that kind of, you know, prospects and and whatnot to glean from that. But because the veterans weren't really, they weren't really present. We got to see uh, Eric Howla at least, um, but we never got to see Felino. You know, th- there's been guys we haven't seen. None of the top line, no Coil, or anything like that. So uh, I think the most important thing to look at was how the goaltending looked. Yeah, I thought. I thought Swayman gave a little bit of a soft rebound on the one goal that he gave up. 
where, you know, Puck kind of just, like, popped down to the slot and it almost looked like there's a miscommunication with the defenseman where, like, neither one of them really kind of pounced on it. Um, but then he was great after that. Like, he was terrific the rest of the, you know, the rest of the half a game that he played. Uh, Allmark, I thought, was solid. Uh, I didn't think either goal was he really going to have done much about them. That he gave up a couple juicy rebounds. You'd like to see him control a little better, but that's kind of, you know, like, that's not an issue for first game off summer break. Like, some, stuff like that will happen. Like, that that's a, okay. I'd, I'd be more concerned if, like, that continues and we see it, you know, weeks into the season. Um, speaking of Golden, though, like, what maybe stood out to me more than anything was Kyle Kaiser on mm. uh, in Tuesday's game. He played the second half against the Rangers, and he looked great. Um, he... Only got beat on a breakaway by, by Pan- Artemi Panarin. He also denied Panarin on another breakaway. He had a great save going side to side to stop a one timer on the power play. Um, you know he's ba- he's the number three in the organization now. He'll, you know, I mean he'll split time in Providence with whoever it ends up being, but essentially he'll he enters the season as kind of like the number one for Providence, and that means he's most likely the number one call-up if anything were to happen to Allmark or Swayman, um, you know, before a potential Rask return happens. And, you know, Kaiser's, he's a goalie that people have been really high on for a while. Uh, unfortunately, basically lost a full season or more due to concussions. And, you know, that sort of gets you lost in the shuffle a little bit. Certainly, Swayman passed him on the organizational depth chart, obviously. Um, but there's there's still a lot of talent there, and to see him play that well in, in in his first preseason game was really encouraging. Yeah, and when we talked to Andrew Raycroft last episode, he talked about the importance of having that third goalie in your system in case you know injury does occur. And now we know if, if worse comes to worse, you know Kaiser is is definitely you know up for the challenge. And I thought Jeremy Swayman, you know. Looked a little tentative in the first few minutes of the game, but again, it's it's the first game of preseason. I thought it didn't take very long for him to jump right back into what we saw from him last year. And uh, Allmark was a lot bigger than I anticipated. He's a yeah, big he's, boy. He is. He's a big. He's a big uh, goaltender. Yeah, and so I like the fact that the Bruins have that versatility in that where you can go with like you know Swayman and you know the way he plays, but then you have Allmark and just a Ken Dryden type size, like just top. He's a lot closer in size to uh, Darth Vlader than, than anything else. I mean, the way Vladar last year, just like the crossbar was at his waist, it looked like, and Allmark's not too far off for, from that. For what it's worth, the Bruins have made a lot of good decisions when it comes to, to goalies, um, and including some of the depth guys that have come up like Swayman and Kaiser and, of Ladar, it, it just seems like the guys that they've called up, it's never been a situation where you're like, oh my god. Like usually, you see signs of okay, this guy could make it in the NHL. So they they've had a lot of depth there, and it looks like that continues uh, this season. And Vladar had a highlight real save for Calgary in one of their preseason games that went viral. So you know, good for him. He, yeah, he and, had and an he, opportunity. Vladar looks pretty locked in as as the number two in Calgary. So yeah. he's he's good for him. got his opportunity. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um. So Bridget is on the goaltending train the first few games. Scott, what about you? What jumped out to you early on so far in preseason? Uh, so Fabian Lysel has looked really good. Um, we're going to get into him more with Anthony later. But, 
you know, hasn't really looked out of place at all. Now, you know, other teams like the Bruins are playing some NHL regulars, some prospects. In both cases, the Capitals and Rangers have play, actually played more of their NHL guys than than the Bruins have. Um, yep. We'll finally see more of the Bruins regulars Thursday night when they're at home. Uh, Bruce Cassidy said, you know, you'll see more of the top guys for that game. Um, but Lysel's looked good, and he's looked good in camp, too. He looked good in the Prospects Challenge in Buffalo. Um, you know, Don Sweeney has said that the plan is most likely to send him to Vancouver in the WHL, which I think is perfectly legitimate. Like, that's a good path for him to take. It's a good place for him to be this season. But if they did, if they changed their mind and said, you know what, he's closer than we thought, uh, let's get him into Providence, I don't think he'd be out of place there at all. Um, Seems to me that that's kind of where he would rather be, um, based off of some of his comments after the games that he's played, and he just thinks that he's progressing well so far in every period of his time playing in the preseason. So I think in his mind, he thinks he could make more more leaps um, playing against NHL caliber players. I think in Lysel's mind, he should be next to Bergeron. <laughs> I think so too. He's I think very he's confident. confident. He, he is. is. He, yeah, which is which is admirable because you need to have that if you want to be one of the top players in a few years. Which I think he can. Yeah. I, eyes on the prize right now for yeah. him. And, and um, you know, Bruins don't don't need to rush. Like, do do whatever is best for his development. You know, there's no like you don't need to be like wishful thinking. Like, oh, maybe we can. You know, maybe he'll accelerate at like this rapid speed and help us this year like you don't need to force that if you think putting him in the whl for this season is the best thing to do then then put him there like that's fine um but it to my point it's just encouraging to see him looking good like he doesn't look like someone who's you know oh my god this is going to be a project like let's let's circle back three years from now like no like he's 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 looking good he's gonna be he's gonna be a top six fixture in boston for a long time and um you know, the real, only reason I wouldn't say top line right wing is because of the guy he'd have to surpass, which is Pashnak. Yeah. So, I mean, and he's one of the best in the, in the world at what he does. So, you know, I'm watching him, and Scott, I know you, I know you brought up the WHL route, and look, I think he's going to go there, and he's going to be head and shoulders above the rest to the point where... I don't even know. What if know. he isn't, though? Well, I think he's like, going. He, I, I mean, I it makes he sense. Be. I think he he'll be really be, but, good. But I, I mean, we, the... we saw him have a, an under par season right before he got drafted, and then that kind but, of dropped him to the Bruins. So yeah, but that was against pros. That was, yeah, against, that was against older pros. players. So like now he's going to go to WHL and face kids his age. Which... I just think that we could have a change of opinion if all of a sudden we see you know him not not maybe he doesn't feel sure. as confident there. Sure, sure, but what? But look. In the in the prospect he, tournament, you know he was an assist machine in those two games. Um, I thought he looked really strong against the Capitals in his first pro game on North American ice, and then in the most recent game against the Rangers. You're talking about a game that featured uh, Artemi Panarin, Capo mm-hmm. um, Kako on the other side, Ryan Strom, a couple others, and you know Lysel was out there, you know galloping across the ice, and he looked to me along with Stanika, like two of the fastest players out there for both teams. And on the Stanika goal, he turned Truba into a pretzel. Jacob Truba is likely going to be the New York Rangers captain. Okay, mm-hmm. And, you know, he didn't know which way the puck was going when Lysel dropped it back to Stanika. So to me, 
He has the speed. He has the skill to be playing in the AHL this year. I agree with you. I, I just don't know if playing against sometimes the AHL could be more dangerous than the NHL because Absolutely. those guys could be bigger and more goonish, and that's why it I is would, a different and, and, and like so would be style. the kind of player that like some you know twenty six year old AHL vet right. wants to send a message to. So so I just wanted to bring it up just purely for the fact that last season, uh, you know, he was playing. Under par, it looks like his confidence is back. It looks like yeah. his his mindset is is straightened out. Um, and I think the Bruins got lucky that he fell to them where he did. And so I agree with you guys completely. I just wanted to bring it up because yeah. I didn't know, like we mentioned, his confidence. Maybe he doesn't want to play in the WHL, and maybe that factors in. So like, I, I, I tend to agree with Scott that he should start in the WHL because for, the last thing I said was I, I don't want him to go to Providence and, and, and have a target on his back from these you know 28-year-old guys that are you know trying to prove a point. And so I, I think the WHL at some point might be a little too easy for him, but there's nothing wrong with going there and being the guy in all situations. I think what might end up happening is he'll start in the WHL, and I think, you know, somewhere along the line, you may see him go to Providence later on this year. Maybe, yeah. And, I mean, I don't know what this, you know. Yeah, and, and the other thing happen, is, is but... like, you, if you send him to Providence, then you risk maybe another season like last year where he's going up against, you know, bigger, older, more physical professionals, and the offense isn't there. And if he's doing that two years in a row, you know, does that yeah. affect his confidence at all? Or. You know, WHL is going to put up points. He's going to have the puck on a stick. He's going to see it go into the net. Like, yeah, I think it'll, it, it'll be good. I think that that's a good place to start in North America. Yeah, and, and if he keeps the same mindset as he's had in the preseason, then I think he just knows what the goal is, what the end goal is, and he's just going to put his head down and try to get there as soon as he can. And but uh, before we finish up with our final thoughts on the first two preseason games, I did want to bring up the the ongoing storyline of Bruins centers and uh, trying to replace David Krejci because it's also something that people have been talking about a lot. Uh, we saw Stanika um, centering a line. We we uh, have talked about a few different options there. Uh, Coyle coming back from his surgery and um, presumably the second line center. So I just want to throw it out to you guys. What do you think of what you've seen from Stanika um, where could he end up in terms of being a center and filling in for Krejci? Uh, what do you think? I will throw this to Scott first because, correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, but you've been at Warrior for most of training camp, so you've had a in-person look at... I know Coyle just kind of got back in the black jersey, but yeah, you've, just... you've seen both those guys with Smith and Hall so far. Have you? Uh, Coyle, Coyle really hasn't done too much He's there yet. He's been in the non-contact. S- yes, yeah, St- Stanika was getting a lot of shifts there with Hall and Smith. Um, I mean, because Coyle was couldn't play. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. And and he, even I think even the first day Coyle came back, I think it was still Stanika there because Coyle wasn't. Yeah, it's a different. It wasn't like quite. I don't know. If, I don't know if it wasn't quite up full up to speed or whatever. But um, but yeah, Stanika's gotten a lot of chances there, and. You know, seems to be working pretty well. And then he gets into the second preseason game on a line with Lysel and Jesper Froden. And, uh, you know, I thought was probably the Bruins' best player in that game. It was either him or, or Thomas Nosek. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Stanika's making a push. He's getting a real opportunity. He's been skating there with those guys in practice. Uh, you know, looked good in the game. We've obviously heard about the 15 pounds he put on. It, it 
you know, it looks like good weight. Like, it, it seems like he does look stronger. He doesn't look any slower. That's Still for sure. Still hasn't fixed his teeth. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Craig Smith you know, did. Craig Smith Craig, did. Craig Smith oh, fixed his teeth. That's yeah. good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. So Nick is missing more than one. I think it's probably yeah. time for him to get some fakes in there. Maybe for Christmas. Stanika <laughs> told the story at one point that like he got them fixed at one point and then basically got like the same one or two teeth knocked out again. So he was like, well, screw it, basically. Yeah. Like You're too young to say screw it at that <laughs> I, point. I, lo- I love how... Sidney Crosby, when he got his teeth knocked out, he, I don't even think he let anyone see what his face looked like. <laughs> the teeth were back in in a day. Like I, I love how Pashnak uh, had his front two teeth chipped like four years ago he just hasn't fixed them i mean I couldn't even tell you, can you can name a bunch of players i couldn't even tell you what play that happened with passion when he lost those teeth or you know lost parts, the front, parts of them par- parts of his teeth but it's <laughs> hey he it works for him now he, he he's uh, one of the best players in the world now um so look i mean scott for me i think uh looked really good we haven't seen coil just yet like he just got the the, the non-contact jersey off so um i'm optimistic about that yeah, I, I think Cole is going to be good. Um, but, f- look, if you're Sanika, you, if you're the Bruins, in all likeliness, it's going to be Cole that gets that first crack with the second line. So, don't you kind of get the feeling, through no fault of his own, for Sanika to start the year with the Bruins at second line center or bust? Like, if it's not where Coyle is, where's, where are they going to plug him in? So, I could see third line center. Now... Eric Halla has been there, and he's played really well. He looked great the first preseason game. Yep. Him and Jake DeBrusque have definitely developed some chemistry, which, you know, they need is, is important, to get especially back for on the DeBrusque. Train. Like, if DeBrusque is going to bounce back, obviously you need him to have chemistry with whoever yeah. he's playing with. Which, it's a fresh way, look for, and that's a fresh look for him. Which, by the way, those two, um, those two against the Capitals would have been um, my takeaway from the first two preseason games was the I think will be the reemergence of a third line for the Bruins but continue yeah so that would be the other place that Stanika could go but then the problem is, is like who are you moving around like Felino's not dropping down any further than third line you don't think he would I don't think so I, I think with him and th- Nosek and Lazar or something like that that could be a very very experienced professional fourth line it could but like Clutterbuck and Sezikis, you could argue, could be third liners on some teams. Yeah, I just think it, Felino was your most expensive forward signing this summer, and I don't think you did that to put him on the fourth line. And plus, you don't have anyone else who's as comfortable playing right wing there. Um, I think Hall has played a very little bit of right wing, but it's definitely not a natural spot for him. We've seen Stanik on wing; he's definitely better at center. So. But so this this is the question though. Like so like yeah. So if the, he's not second line center, right. where's so he going? The only other thing would be if you put him third line and moved Hall down. Maybe Hall is your Similar fourth line center. Me. No sec over to the wing because we could do that. Yeah. Because here's another thing that, I think that, that that we're gonna get to. That's one of my takeaways is uh, Trent Frederick had a rough game mm-hmm. Tuesday night. Now look, you, you don't want to bury people after one overreact or anything. No. But you know we've all kind of been talking like as if Frederick has a spot locked up. And let's remember that last season he was a regular for most of for you know the first half plus of the regular season and ended up losing his spot. Now part of that is he got sick, not with COVID, it was a non-COVID illness, and it took him a while to recover from that. And I don't think he came back as strong as he had been before. So that's definitely a factor, um, possibly the main reason that he you know ended up 
losing out down the stretch. Um, but, you know, if he's not, like, really claiming a spot, I, what I'm getting is, like, Trent Frederick shouldn't just be handed a spot. I don't he, think he will be. He should still have to earn it. So, like, yeah, it's okay to pencil him in there, but let's say he continues to struggle a little bit and isn't really having a great preseason. You know, Bruce Cassidy called him out by name after Tuesday night's game, said he wasn't moving his feet enough to be effective. So if that were something that's, that continues, then there's probably an opening and you're looking at someone to slot in there on fourth line left wing. Yeah, and, um, you know, the only plays that I thought Frederick did well against the Rangers were some given goes in the power play and zone entries, which he won't be in those situations right. in the regular season. So it's kind of a moot point, but... Uh, I thought Chris Wagner said something interesting the other day. Somebody asked him, um, oh, by the way, Scott, I heard you on one of the Bruins conference calls ask Cassidy a question. I was like, yeah, that's my boy. Um, <laughs> like when you asked Bergeron. Oh, my goodness. What a what a question that was. <laughs> that was probably the first time Bergeron was ever asked like, an actual good hockey question. Anyway. In, I, yeah, in, in how long he have you been in about, 18 years? Yeah, he, he had to think. I, For Brian, Brian's the only one. Stumped on I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Um, he, had to, he had to think about that one. He, I think he respected that question. What were we talking about? Oh, Chris Wagner said something. Um, <laughs> Wagner said something about comfortability, and he said, "I haven't been comfortable in ten years." So I think that hopefully Trent Frederick and all those you know prospects in the fourth line are feeling that same way. Because the one thing you can say about that 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 group, there is going to be always somebody nipping at somebody's heels to take their place. And I think the Bruins, I will say, you know, you mentioned that Sweeney may not have had the confidence, and that's why he went out and got free agents. And I think that that's true because of the magnitude of utilizing Bergeron while he's still here and, and going for it. If, you know, if, if the team was in a different state, then yeah, you'll be, if they were like a bubble team, sure. But they're in a different position. So, um, yeah, I mean, Frederick, to me, he didn't really stand out. Um, but who did stand out to me was was uh, Tomas Nosek. And I thought he was uh, looked really well um, in that in that um, position, went to the net as advertised. I mean, I watched him in, in Vegas all the time when they're in the playoffs on national TV and liked this game a lot. Yeah, I think fans are really gonna like him. Yeah. He's, I think he's gonna really add to that fourth line because he's got he's got some speed and skill. Like he's not he's not just a grinder. And when he when he moved up to Vegas's third line at times last year, like his his five on five production rates were were pretty good. Like they he wasn't out of place playing up a line. Um, so yeah, whether it's at center or wing, right now he's at center. Looks like that's probably where he'll start, but. Yeah, th- that's that's going to be a nice signing. He's definitely going to upgrade that that fourth line. And the other thing too is we can sit here all we want and talk about who should be where and what lines should be, but the biggest part of all sports, specifically hockey, is is the injury bug. And so they're all going to get looks and they're all going to get opportunities, um, you know. But we mentioned how we were again one preseason game, a little disappointed in Frederick. I. Um, I I was hoping for a little bit more out of Lazar. Again, I know one preseason game, but when he was with Calgary, I, I was it Calgary. For, he when he he was in the Western Conference a few years back, and um, you know back then he seemed more like a pain in the balls to play against. And he, sorry, Bridget. <laughs> um, uh, and and he he he's not really showing me that right now. And that's kind of like like Garnet Hathaway in Washington, Nick Dowd in Washington, like. Lazar kind of had that that agitation, agitate, agitating factor to him. Is there even a, sure? Yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> you know, what? I'm gonna go back to the original word I said. Um, that that's what how he played, and I haven't seen that. Um, somebody who does play like that is Anton Bleed, 
but he's not, I don't want him on my team because he sucks. So <laughs> maybe Lazar can take some of that. And, okay, and, so it's Anton Bleed not on Brian's depth <laughs> chart for, for call-ups. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I, I will never, if, if, if a player brings effort, I'll like him. So in that respect, I like Anton Bleed. He did have a rough penalty Tuesday yeah, he night, did. though. Yeah, he did. Especially because they were already down a man. So uh, we've seen all the free agent acquisitions so far that they've gotten besides Forbert and Felino. So um, Bridget, the Bruins third line, because like I said earlier, I kind of picked this up uh, in Washington. How encouraged were you to see Jake DeBrusque get a goal and a shootout goal and be all over the ice during that Washington game and go to the net, especially where he scored from? Uh I liked what I saw from him. I'm not going to, you know, jump to any conclusions about him absolutely taking a step forward or I guess a step back to where he used to be when he had um when he was having better seasons with the Bruins, but um the thing that actually stuck out to me most was obviously he played well, but uh there was a few things that came out in in the offseason recently about how him and the Bruins have been trying to get on the same page. Uh, in terms of what they expect from him in this offseason so that they get off on the right foot in the regular season. And if that's something that they've really tried to work on and you know maybe something got through to him that didn't last season, um, I-, I think maybe he has a chance to improve on last year. Obviously, five-goal season, it wasn't his best season. Um, and I'm sure he was disappointed with it as well. So... Uh, I liked what I saw from him on his goal, and then obviously he had a nice shootout goal as well. Um, but on that third line as well, Hala, I thought, impressed me at the faceoff dot. And I was talking to Scott a little bit about this earlier. Uh, at the beginning of the game, he was 8 for 8 uh, from the faceoff dot, and then he ended up finishing, what was it, Scott? 17 and 24. So, I mean, that's, a, that's impressive. for, And I know it's a preseason game, but that's promising. Yeah. And uh, so an- another argument for keeping Felino on that third line instead of potentially dropping him down, I think he is already and will continue to be a great influence on DeBrusque. Um, it, you know, he F- we've met met with Felino, I don't know, one of these days at training camp, and he was, like, gassing up DeBrusque like great. Like, he was, like, loved him. was talking about how hard he works and mm-hmm. how – he wants to be a great player and he can be a great player and he cares way more than people realize. Like just like if that's kind of like the attitude he's ha- he has when he's with DeBrusque and you know, when they're together out there on the ice, like that can help lift DeBrusque's confidence up. And, you know, I think Felina's a guy who look, he's been a captain before he was a captain for nearly six years in Columbus. He's a veteran, obviously like he's going to be a leader of this team, whether he has, an assistant captain, alternate captains, a or not, um, and I think specifically on that line, he'll he'll be a leader and be like someone who can kind of take DeBrusque under his wing a little bit. Yeah, and, and DeBrusque getting a clean slate, so this yeah. line, this third line is is probably going to be DeBrusque, Hala, Felino, and that's a completely different look than DeBrusque's seen so far in his career. So I think that that could be a fresh start for him and a little bit of a a boost in confidence just to know uh, we're going to get a a different look and we're going to probably see a lift in his play from that. Well, I'm not reporting this, but rumor has it uh, Butch Cassidy and DeBrusque went to the friendly toast in Cambridge, 
had a couple cups of coffee and talked about it and they made up. So I think their their relationship is mended now because last year Cassie was not afraid to go to the media and kind of th- which look, yeah, Jake the, deserved it for, for a lot of it. It's like he yeah. wasn't bringing the effort. And when Cassidy talked about that this preseason, you know, didn't didn't go into like a ton of details with the media obviously, but talked about how, you know, they they need to find that common ground and specifically how like DeBrusque, and DeBrusque mentioned this at times last year, like, he really struggled with the COVID restrictions and just sitting alone in an apartment. Like, I think he was struggling on the ice, and then he'd take that home, and he would keep thinking about it, and it was like, it's hard to get out of your own head when you can't go out, you can't hang out with teammates, you can't just, like, get away from it. And, you know, that was that was tough on him. And, look, that's, you know, that is that doesn't single-handedly explain his tough season, like, you know, it doesn't totally let him off the hook, but it's a factor. And when you're, and Cassidy said, like, there was probably both sides probably needed to talk a little bit more about that. You know, the Bruins could have done more to help him out with that. DeBrus could have, you know, spoken up a little bit more, you know, said, hey, like, I'm struggling with this. Um, but like, it's, it's a tough thing to do. Like, anyone who's had, like, mental health issues, like, some, it's tough to open up about that stuff. Um, and, yeah, so, you know, I think just being able to get on the same page about that and now you know, having some restrictions relaxed, like, DeBrus can, you know, live more of, like, a normal life now. And hopefully that's helped him get his head right and come in with, you know, a better approach, a better attitude. I thought one interesting thing he said is that uh, he's trying to forget not just the last year, but basically his whole career. Like, he said, like, forget the 27-goal season, too, where, like— so. Like that's the kind of fresh start he's looking for. Whereas, there because there's actually been times in the past where I've thought DeBrusque like almost was re- relying on the past too much. Like I remember one time specifically where I think he was going in. He was either going into a contract negotiation or just signed a new contract or something, and said something along the lines of like, you know, well I've proven I can score goals in this league, but like he had just struggled for like a long stretch, and it was like, okay, but like that was last year, like. What you know? Yeah. What what are you doing right now? Um, so I I liked I like that like it really does seem like he's gunning for a completely fresh start like a race it all and new year. Well, Washington game was a perfect example of uh, you know and a great first step because it wasn't just that he scored; it's how he scored. He went to the doorstep, was willing to take a few hits to to score a goal, Picked and that's up a rebound exactly. Given. Yeah, and that's how that's how he played in juniors. Like that's what the Bruins liked in him. Was that he was a straight straightaway skater, but went to the dirty areas, and that's what we saw from him the first few years. And I think I've said in the past with that game against the Maple Leafs in Game Seven, where he got he put on his ass but scored in the meat. Like that's the guy that they that they needed. And, or even um, the, the, I I always remember like the goal against Carolina in the bubble too, where he ended up like going flying through the air because he was splitting two defensemen. Yeah. yeah. So so he has it, and you know I, I agree with you, Scott, about the Felino thing with 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 uh, DeBrus. You know. I only said that Felino possibly on the fourth line, if Sanika forces his way to the second mm-hmm. line. I, I I want Felino in my top in my top uh, my top nine, and I think that having Halla and Felino, two very um, hardworking professionals that have been there and done that, I think will force uh, DeBrusque to be accountable and and bring that um, effort every single game. And I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a really good line. And you look at their division, Bridget. Like Tampa Bay, I think is still the cream of the crop, but where they lost some players was their very very effective third line and i think the bruins probably picked that edge up on them yeah now tampa they, they literally lost their entire they third did line. they did and tampa still has the edge and goal and on the blue line 
Um, I mean, and, and you know, we'll get into division on a, on a later date, but um, yeah, I just we'll do we'll do a little yeah. preview before the season starts of where we think the Bruins are in terms of the standings. Uh, just some predictions on that but, kind of thing, but 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 their bottom six will be. It, you can see it. They're gonna be. They're gonna be much better. There's still a few questions on their fourth line, but I think they'll be fine. I'm getting the sense, though, guys, that you know they'll miss they'll miss um, you know Krejci's production and, and his his veteran savvy. But between Coyle, who we haven't seen yet, but we know what he can be, and Sanika's promise, a full year of Hall, um, and Craig Smith, who really played well last year, I, like I think their top six will be will be just fine as well. I think one of the main things I'm looking forward to is actually seeing how the chemistry is with Coyle and Hall. So just because. It, Obviously, the chemistry with Krejci and Hall was through the roof, and it's not going to be that. But I'm just—it's just something I'm really interested in seeing because obviously the Bruins are were high on Hall after signing him uh, to a new contract, and I, I think for his production, it's really important that him and Coyle are on the same page. That's something I'm going to be looking at. Yeah, I would just say like the fact that they haven't. Now there's still plenty of preseason games training camp practices left but you know the more reps Coyle could have gotten there the the better so the fact that like he has basically gone the first week without really getting many there is you know at least a very mild concern like but we still you, you want to see that left at, before the yeah, season starts i just think you, you want to see it as much as possible like the more time they can get together the yeah, better it was unfortunate that the injury has uh kept him out in this first part of the preseason. Yeah, I mean, Scott, when, when do you think is the first time we'll see Coyle in preseason action? Or if at all? Uh, um, I think we will. Uh, so, I would assume he's not going to play Thursday. I, I think they'll want to get him at least a few more practices. But So maybe we'll see Stanika in that position with those two, if they're, if that line's there? They could. Yeah, I could definitely see that <clears> for, <throat> for at least one game and, you know, see where Coyle's at on Saturday, maybe. And that, yeah. that would give him, you know, three... I don't know. I, it's interesting because normally I'd say like they might rest guys that final preseason game, but then they have ten days between the final preseason game and the start of the regular season, so they might just you know play these guys, play them always through like once they get them in there. So I will say uh, one one thing I might like about Coyle in that second line center as opposed to Stanika is that similar to Krejci. Now don't get me wrong, Coyle is a much faster straight-ahead skater than Krejci. But Coyle has that ability, like Krejci, to kind of slow the game down, go a little east-west. And and sometimes I think that helps as a line attacking layers. And that'll Because when you have speedy wingers like Hall and Smith, sometimes when you have a center who can slow the game down, allow your wingers to get in front of you or behind you and just kind of give defense different looks, it's better it's more versatile than having three very very fast players kind of be on the same um plane. you know thank you she's always thinking of the words i can say <laughs> on the same plane and uh you know that's something that maybe that's Coyle... that 20 podcast chemistry right there <clears throat> feels like it's been 100 like i said <laughs> <laughs> um but i think i think that's probably something that uh could help ease the transition for smith and hall with coils i think coil might be able to, you know, bring similar attributes. Yeah, he, he obviously doesn't have the, the vision that Krejci ha- had. You know, no. very few players do. Right. And I, I do think sometimes Coyle will hang onto the puck a little bit too long when he kind of gets him. He He's a great puck protector. There's no question about that. But I do think sometimes he hangs onto a little too long where 
you know, a chance to make a play has already passed, and now he's, like, waiting for another chance to present itself. So, you know, especially with Holland Smith, to your point, like, those are guys you want to get the puck onto their stick. Quickly, so, so that they, yeah. they can get it off quick. Yeah. So th- that might be an adjustment where, like, there might be times that, you know, they need to, whether it's his line mates or the coaches, you know, hey, get the get the puck to the guys a little quicker or something like that. So I think the recipe is pretty simple. D to coil or hall and vice versa. Get the puck in. <laughs> Let Smitty go after like a, like a dog on raw meat. <laughs> get, that, get that puck back because nobody does it better than, than Smith. He's he loves forechecking, which is yeah. great. I mean that's that's why he's he was so successful last year with uh, with Hall and Krejci, and they're gonna they're they're gonna need him to to, to bring that same level of play as he, as, as he did last year. I'm not saying all 82. Right, but but Smith has to be the player that he, that he has been over his career. Um, if he takes a step back and Coyle doesn't play up to his ceiling, well, now he may have some issues. But I think I have confidence that they'll be a pretty good line, um, and I'm looking forward to, yeah, I'm to watching them. Optimistic about it. Yeah, me too. Um, obviously, the first line, no questions there. So it, yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to watch um, camp continue and see the different looks. We good to go to Anthony, or do we have anything else before? Think we're, I think yeah, we're I think good because the go. rest the rest of the stuff uh, that we could talk about for preseason has to do with prospects. So uh, we'll get his expertise on that. All right. So, yeah, Anthony Bridget, I'm sorry. How do you say his last name again? Kwiatkowski. Anthony Kwiatkowski. From the, he runs the Bruins Network on Twitter. He's going to be joining us next, so uh, we'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, Bridget Pruce, Scott McLaughlin. And right now we are joined by Anthony Kwiatkowski. Did I say it right? Yes, sir. All right. You so, did. So Anthony, um, Anthony covers uh, the Bruins organization from the top down, from from Boston to Providence, um, and prospects and all that good stuff. And he uh, he runs uh, the Bruins Network Twitter account, and uh, he's he's friends with Bridget. So Bridget was able to get Anthony on with us today. So Anthony, how are you today? I am very good today. Thank you all. Um, special thanks to Bridget for having me on. She is a uh, friend of the network long time even before anyone was following me so always will do anything for Bridget when asked so here I am yeah and we thought it would be the perfect time to get you on because we've been seeing so many prospects play in the first two preseason games we can't really glean too much from it but there are a lot of promising uh, players that are coming up in the Bruins system you seem like the guy to talk to about that stuff so we have uh, just to start off the bat just your thoughts on a few guys that have shown promise or maybe have disappointed a little bit, and then we'll go a little bit deeper into some okay. of the guys that are of interest. So I guess for me, just first thoughts on uh, Fabian Lysel because you had a tweet up earlier and you said for you, he has that it factor. Yes. Um, you know, Fabian Lysel is, is a type of player that, typically shouldn't be available to you at, at number 20 in the draft. Um, and there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. I, I mean, right off the bat, he made the transition last year from, you know, the J18 leagues, J20 leagues, uh, you know, all Svenskin in Sweden to their SHL league, you know, the, the top end, you know, top tier Swedish hockey league. So what happened is he took a, you know, kind of production fall and, He's a young kid. You know, he's 18. He was 17, 18 last year, um, and his production fell. You know, he, he only put up two goals and an assist for three points in 20-something-odd games, um, and that's going to hurt someone's draft stock, especially in a year when there are 
you know, a, a multitude of guys who are in the USHL or, you know, around the college ranks, college paths, and, you know, anywhere around there where they were seen more, they were interacted with more, scouts had a chance to see them more in person. Um, and the Bruins got lucky because he fell to them. And thanks to, you know, PJ Axelson and, and who they have over there on their, on their Euro scouting team, he's there. And now what we're seeing is the benefits of someone falling to them and then taking them. So what you see with Lysel is right off the bat, for me, that it factor that he has is it's in his feet and it's in his hands mostly. Um, the second you start seeing him carry the puck, you notice him start to stick handle and he's doing it at high speed. You know, he's, he's slipping between forehand and back speed and, and backhand at full speed. He's gaining the zone with that. He's, you know, he's skating with the puck on his stick and, and making sure that he's covering all bases through his ankles, through his hips, his legs, his core. You know, he's not just like a Dennis Seidenberg type power skater from his thighs and, you know, where you lose that agility, he's more nimble, like a, like a Matt Barzal type. And last night, you know, you, you got to see it on full display when, when he assisted on a, a goal by Jack Sabika. He gets the puck on his stick, and what does he do? He doesn't try and stay to the outside on the perimeter. He cuts to the middle. He starts trying to back defenders off, you know, with his quick little forehand, backhand, um, you know, transitional work just on his stick just to get a little bit of, you know, shimmy leeway by him. And, you know, he gets the vision and he also gets the, you know, the excitement when you see that happen. And it's something that you only see from players who have that factor, you know, the Pasternak's of the world uh, most recently on, on the Bruins. Um, so what we're seeing from him is a, is a young European player who's coming over, um, you know, skating on North American ice for one of the first times. And, you know, outside of the, world junior summer showcase after he was drafted and you know sometimes these guys are going to go ahead and, and adjust seamlessly and sometimes they're going to need more time he is you know in the former department there and it's just been a seamless transition for him so it's really exciting to see right now and he's a special type of talent yeah anthony i couldn't agree more i i, I thought the same thing watching him the last few games even dating back to a few weeks ago with the um uh the rookie tournament up there in buffalo and uh, but for me, obviously, I noticed the speed. I noticed the skill, um, like you said. And you know the way he skates, he's it's like he's floating out there. You know, it, it's seamless. He he's a smooth skater. But for me, um, what told me that he has that it factor besides the, what you said is um, he has the hockey smarts and the hockey IQ uh, that not a ton of players have. And for to be 18 years old and skating on North American size ice for the first time against uh, you know grown men. Uh, I thought that was very impressive. Just the way he reads the game and is assertive, and he doesn't, um, you know, he he acts, he doesn't react. And I thought that was very impressive for an 18 year old. And and for me, with somebody who has all the skill and speed, for him to have that as well um, stood out to me right away. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think you just hit the nail on the head there with he acts and doesn't react. You know, you see a lot of young players, especially on the talented side, coming through systems and working their way up to the highest level. And they're more of a, you know, sit back and wait, kind of play it safe type, you know, because they're either nervous or they're not sure how their game's going to translate. But right out of the gate, you know, last night bringing up the Sidnika goal again, he didn't wait for a play to develop. He just took the puck and made one himself. And that's what makes him part of this whole special type of player where, you know, at the top end, 
you're looking at someone who could be potentially 10 pounds heavier than he is now in a couple years, still at, you know, the 5'10", maybe a, an inch taller, give or take. But that's a more dense player who can still do that on the fly. So now you're getting into a whole different element of a really, really unique type of player in the system. And it's just, you know, it, it's all coming at once. So with Lysel, I'm I'm of the belief that going to the WHL is is a perfectly fine move, a, a good move for him. Um, you know, I wrote that it shouldn't be viewed as any sort of disappointment. Like that's about the level that a player his age probably should be at. Um, but watching him these two games and in training camp, it doesn't seem like he'd be out of place at all if he did go to the AHL this season. Do you? Obviously, you see a lot of the AHL. Do, do you have an opinion on that? Do you think he could handle that if the you know if he's maybe changing the Bruins' mind a little bit? Yeah, I, I mean, right off the bat, his skills and, and his talent level and his ability to produce with men on the ice and also men on the other team. Um, I mean, he's going up against guys last night in the likes of Panarin and Reeves and you know big guys who are out there and, and veteran NHL players. You know, even Jacob Truba out there. So what you see is is that skill would immediately translate to the AHL, I think. Um, but I'm with you as well. I, I don't see any issue with him going to the WHL. Um, in fact, there's probably two ways to look at it, right? If he goes to the WHL, he's going to be in an environment where he's going to have more time on ice. He's going to play in way more variation in terms of scenarios on ice. So he's going to be on the power play. They'll use him on the penalty kill. They'll use him at even strength. Um, you know, they'll use him in overtime shootout and he doesn't have to necessarily earn anything because that's what the WHL is for. They want these high end junior players who have already shown that they can compete at the next level because they're going to come in and seamlessly start producing. And I mean, he's going to be like a point and a half per game in the WHL, I think. So if you look at it on the other hand, yeah, he's probably talented enough to immediately produce and be a very productive player in terms of points in the AHL for Providence. But, you know, Coach Mungenel is not going to be able to just give him, you know, top-line minutes, top-penalty-line minutes, you know, throw him out on the penalty kill because there's more guys down there. There's more competition. Uh, the style in the AHL is more grueling than it is in the WHL. Um you know, you're going to be exposing him to some of those lifetime AHL guys who are always looking to make a name for themselves in terms of violence or hits. So for me, I don't care either way, you know, if he's in Providence or if he's in, um, you know, the WHL for Vancouver. But I do think that I'm on board with you 100% that he could absolutely play in Providence right now and produce on pretty much any line they have him out on. It's just more of a fact if he's dense enough and physically mature enough right now to withstand, you know, a full season of that, especially in Providence that has, you know, some of the, the bulkier Northeast teams like the Islanders affiliates coming through and, you know, really grinding some guys down. I, I mean, if you look at a player like Cameron Hughes, he seems to get dinged up really good, you know, a couple times a year. And, and he's a smaller guy too, of kind of a similar stature. Granted, he's, you know, more slight of frame than Lysel is, but, you know, I think the point remains, and I think they're going to send him to Providence camp and not keep him in Boston for the duration of the preseason. You know, next week when camp starts for Providence um, or whatever the exact date is, I, I think he'll be given a chance to show what he's got there. And if they're 
senior coaching staff and head coach Mujanel looks at him and says, listen, I think that he can, you know, compete and grind throughout a whole weekend of hockey at this level, then I think they won't hesitate to throw him there. But I think it's a, you know, TBD kind of situation where it's, you know, a lot of, um, you know, movement at the moment. But, you know, I'm on board with it either way. And so one more question about Lysel for me, Anthony. Uh, just after the game, Stanika, one of his line mates, was talking about him, and he said, um, yeah, he's a good player, and for his age, he's really confident. He didn't have any – he didn't show any signs of being nervous or just, you know, not being able to step up. And from his own mouth, he said uh, – Lysel said he feels like he got better every period so far um, in the two games that he's played for the Bruins. What do you think that says about him? Uh, I think it says that he is confident in his abilities and he has a chip on his shoulder. I mean, you know, there's a lot of um, dialogue throughout the course of the year when a prospect's being covered and, and, you know, entering the NHL draft. And something that often came up about Fabian Lysel amongst other, you know, amateur analysts and people who really watch these guys, you know, night in, night out, is that he had this alleged, in quotes, attitude issue. And for me, you know, if you look at it, it wasn't necessarily an attitude issue. It was just that he felt that he was ready to leave his, you know, J20 uh, career and and move on to the SHL. And and he essentially forced his organization's hand to do so, to accommodate him there. And, you know, that to me says that he just wants to go out there and, and be a really good hockey player. And he's got the skill to do it. You know, some guys can talk the talk and, and they can't walk the walk, but he absolutely can. And hearing, you know, he himself say that he's getting better as the periods go on, to me, that makes me think that he is in the mindset of, I am trying to make this team, I am trying to make noise, and I am trying to score. Like, this is what I'm here for. So if I'm going to go on through these games, I want to get better. I want to be better. I want to look at every single puck touch, every period I play, and see how I can get a little bit of a leg up next time. Next time I hit the ice, you know, maybe I can take a shot closer to the the hash marks this time instead or attempt a more dangerous pass. But he's learning on the fly, and it seems like he really wants to as well. And that is, you know, the other half of the battle when it comes to having a prospect of, of this talent level is whether or not he wants it. And... To me, it seems right off the bat like he wants it and he's made it aware to he himself, his teammates, and his coaches that he wants to be here and he's ready. So, Anthony, we haven't seen any of the big boys just yet in preseason, but we've seen, I want to say, about every single bottom six option, whether they're under contract with the Bruins um, you know, or down in Providence. And, you know, what have you seen from those players so far? And, you know, obviously injuries are going to happen throughout the year, so they're all going to get a shot. But if you're Bruce Cassidy, who are the, you know, um, you know, forwards that are making the best case to, to be in that top 12 and, you know, specifically the, the fourth line? Because, you know, I look at um, Lauko and Oscar Steen and, you know, I think they look really good. And then I look at some players that have some spots, you know, not short up, but they, they have a leg up on those players like uh, Frederick and... Wagner and Lazar and to me they're looking like players who think they already have a spot and that's not how you earn that spot and so um, you know going into the year how do you see their bottom their bottom line shaping up because that can be a very very important line we saw it with the Islanders last year a fourth line could be huge it is huge so what are you seeing from the bottom uh, bottom forwards 
Uh, I mean, right off the bat, that is something that I wholeheartedly agree with. I think having a cohesive bottom six and fourth line that can go out there and actually grind down your opposition with speed and tenacity and hustle, that's something that was obviously missing last year, as you just said, against the Islanders. So when I'm looking at that, I'm looking at the guys that were signed in the offseason to one-way deals. You know, the, the Tomas Noseks of the world and, um, you know, Eric Howes down there. Those are the types of players that I think are going to be given the spot right away just because of the way that they were signed and the way that they were brought in. Curtis Lazar, I think he's going to have a roster spot right away. Um, he was acquired for a reason in part of that Buffalo deal that brought Taylor Hall to Boston for Andrews Dork in a second. So clearly they saw something in him that thought that, you know, he could help solidify that fourth line role. And to his credit, I think that he looked pretty good um, last night on that line with um, Frederick and Noshik. And I think Jesper Froden is another player that I've watched um, in the SHL and I wasn't expecting him to come over and seamlessly trans, you know, have this transition to preseason hockey in the NHL, but he's looking like a, a nice bottom six, high octane, you know, sneakily skilled grinding type, like an Oscar Steen type. Um, I think last night we saw that he could um, go ahead and make plays with the puck, but also withstand the, the durability aspects of the NHL, which is, half the battle for these um, Europeans coming over, like I was saying with, with Lysel. You know, Froden's used to playing in the SHL where there's more time, there's more space, and there's less physicality. But his type of game translates well because he's another one that just goes out and gets it done. He's not waiting around for opportunity. He's not waiting around for other players to create for him. He's just doing the best he can and trying to make an impact both with and without the puck. So the bottom six is a little bit of a, a log jam currently because, as you said, you have Oscar Steen, Jakob Lauko, and then you also have two other guys who could make an impact as well down there, being Zach Senishin and Cameron Hughes. Cameron Hughes, also another player in the mold of a Froden type where he can create with the puck, and he keeps impressing me every time I watch him in the next level um, for that reason. And... It's just kind of a, you know, a whole lot of moving parts. So I think the guys who are signed um, from NHL teams already, I think they're going to have the first look and first say down there. And, and I think last night is going to be pretty close to the, the line that you see moving forward, starting out with Frederick Noshik and um, Curtis Lazar, because there's just not going to be enough spots down there, especially with Nick Foligno and Eric Howla coming in. Um you know, Jake DeBrusque, Charlie Coyle, there's just not so much room for all these guys to play. And you also have Chris Wagner in the equation, too. Now, Chris Wagner's contract can be sent down to the AHL, and that can be a buried contract for them if need be. Um, but I think they're going to give him a shot in, in camp, too, to essentially say, hey, listen, like, it's preseason right now. If you get into the action, show us why, you know, you can still have this spot. But I think a lot of these guys could play in the NHL right now. Jakob Lauko, I think, could play in the NHL right now. Um, Oscar Steen, I think he can play in the NHL right now, too. And I think both of them could be serviceable fourth liners, at least right now, just based off their skill set. They're fast, they're tenacious, they hustle, and they, too, have a chip on their shoulders where they want to score, they want to hit, they want to get their opponents off the game. Um, Lauko's turned into a real pain in the ass to play against. Uh, he's always mucking it up in scrums, and he's always trying to 
you know, tussle with guys and get into fights, which a guy of his stature and build probably shouldn't be doing, but I personally love to see it. So he's out there and he's competing. And I don't think any of these guys are making Bruce Cassidy's job any easier. Anthony, I, I don't know if you know this, but Brian's actually the world's biggest Zack Submission fan. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. He made a face. You can't see it, but he made a face when you said that Seneshin could possibly crack into the lineup because Brian is not not his biggest fan, actually. Um, Let me just put a, put, a, put a cone out there if you want. <laughs> Listen, I am, I, I am one of Zack Seneshin's uh, only full believers from day one until now, and I still believe that he is an NHL bottom six player at, at the worst. It's just there's always been some perfect storm of, of things that have gone wrong for him. You know, we first saw him come up and play alongside Charlie Coyle, and he looked really good. He had a few points in a few games, and he even got a nice assist taken away from him against Montreal, I believe, um, you know, where he dropped behind the net with the puck and fed it back right through the slot, and Coyle hammered it home, but it was deemed offsides or, you know, whatever the NHL thought the wind blew that day. So I'm with you. I, I think that last year we saw him play really well, too. And, and obviously he has had his ups and downs in Boston and injuries have been a, a really big thorn in the side for him in terms of luck. And um, to be quite candid, I don't think that he did any favors to himself last night. Um, but again, that's game one. And if you're looking at um, reasons why he could come out again in the preseason and look good, uh, look no further than Erho Bakanainen, who I don't think looked good at all in his first game. And then last night started off a little shaky, but really settled in towards the second half of the game and looked good. So Seneshin is um, in the same boat as these other guys, unfortunately, that he's got a two-way contract. Other guys have one-way contracts, and other guys have two-way contracts but can offer a little bit more. You know, someone like Steen, who's a center and a winger. Um, Frederick, a center and a winger. Um, Lauko, who can be moved up to the power play in a pinch, or he could be slotted on a second line in a pinch because he's got that, uh, you know, kind of energetic, high-octane puck skill, um, not the highest type guy, but can still rip the puck. You know, he can slap one home or, uh, you know, wire it through traffic. So Seneshin's in, you know, he's in the mix too, and, and I would have no issues watching him play um, on third line right wing or third line uh, left wing if need be or fourth line right wing probably where he's best slated right now and that's where we've seen him have success um, even in small samples but I still like his game I think it's just simple fast and effective on the forecheck I think just keeping it simple is what he needs to do last night it looked like he got away from that but I'll also give him some credit last night because playing with with Una Kopanen is not an easy thing he's not the most uh, offensively astute kind of guy out there, so I'll give him a break. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's absolutely in the mix. I mean, in all seriousness, like it's not it's not Seneshin's fault that you know Sweeney drafted him in the middle of the first round. Like that's not his fault. So he's going to be judged as a first rounder when he's not the one who drafted himself. But uh, you know, I just look for things like is he progressing? And he's twenty. I want to say twenty three or twenty four now. I mean, he's he's not an eighteen year old. And we talked about Lysel earlier and his ambition and his assertiveness. And for me, Senishin t- too often just looks like he's uh, he he's more of a passenger, just kind of watching the game in front of him as opposed to making things happen. And when your job is on the line, you got to see a little bit more. In look, I mean, hopefully he could turn into something because th- there's nothing worse than a dead asset. I just 
I think that ship might be sailing. And what's worse is that he doesn't have any value if the Bruins want to get rid of him. Yeah, I mean, look, call call a spade a spade. It's not how you want a, a first-round pick to end up. And, it, and it's one that, you know, I was pumping the tires on from the start, that he's a good player. And, you know, it's funny because so many things that went wrong with that pick did go wrong. And I love Zach Senishin as a person. And, you know, as a player, I think he doesn't get the credit he deserves for essentially changing his entire game and relearning it a different way. So what happened to him was when he was playing for the Greyhounds in his draft year, you know, he had 26 goals, but he was on the bottom line. So that's good. And then he got moved up to the top lines and he was a back-to-back 40 goal scorer in his draft one and two years. So now you're talking about a guy who is right up there with the juniors production that you want to see from a high end pick. So he was looking perfectly fine then. And then the the conversation started to diminish around him. Um, Bob McKenzie himself around there was saying, wow, maybe the Bruins do have something here in Seneshin. Um, You know, he tweeted that once upon a time during those two seasons. And then what happened was the Greyhounds were in a race for the Memorial cup. They were in a real bid for that. And they told Seneshin to go out there and score. That was his role. Take the puck, go to the net, drive wide, score the goal, put the puck in the net. So the passenger thing was kind of just like a pivotal moment in his junior's development where his coach was not doing what was best for him, but doing what was best for the team. And that carried on for two seasons. And then when he got to Providence, he was just, uh, you know, not where he needed to be for a full 200-foot sheet of ice, you know, for a player. He's someone that was not really into it on the defensive side, didn't really know where to be, didn't know really know how to cover and cycle in the play when, you know, uh, on the rushes with forward one and forward two and forward three, where they're going to be. So he started to get it. And, and to his credit, I thought the last two seasons, he looked pretty good in terms of um, the full game. And, and he turned into a guy who can be relied on for the penalty kill. Uh, you know, he can go out there and get some energy, try and force some possession. Um, that's the type of guy that, that I'm looking for with Senishin. I'm not looking right now. I, I think you're right. I think the fact that, you know, he's not going to be a 20-goal guy, but I could see him being a, a you know, low double-digit type goal, um, you know, gritty kind of winger who is using his size, and, you know, he's an elite skater, so he's still got those tools to get in there on the forecheck and at least be a serviceable fourth-liner. Is it going to be with Boston? I don't think so, just because of the amount of players that they have um, fighting for those spots, including the uh, the bona fide NHLers that they signed. But, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see him claimed through waivers at some point or, you know, moved in a future considerations deal. Um, who knows? Maybe that's what, um, you know, Kyle Dubas is thinking in Toronto for the, the J.D. Greenway trade. Um, you know, that was for future... Uh, considerations and someone like Senishin might fit the bill. They got the Sue Greyhounds connection there with him and uh, you, you never know, but you know, he's 24 now. He'll be 25. Crazier things have happened than a guy pulling it together now, but it's just the, the lack of opportunity here is what's hurting him because he can work on his game and refine it as much as he wants in Providence, but you're just not going to know until he gets full looks. And, you know, he's only had what, 12 games in Boston and you know, in, in the first four-game set we saw, uh, you know, that nineteen twenty season before the shutdown, 
he looked good next to Coyle, good enough to produce and play. So it's just, uh, you know, a, a, a luck of the draw type thing now moving forward for him if he's going to get the opportunity to show himself and prove himself or, you know, if he can force his hands. But I, I think we're, uh, you know, we're, we're going to learn a lot more about Seneshin and the way that the organization is, is really kind of viewing him uh, this season. Anthony, you mentioned uh, Irovakinainen, so uh, I'll take that chance to pivot to him into the defense. Um, I agree with you. Vakinainen's looked inconsistent in these two preseason games so far, especially the game against Washington. I thought he really struggled. Like you said, pulled it together enough Tuesday night against the Rangers to score uh, you know, a really nice goal on, on a great shot. But before that, had been out there for both goals against, was a little slow reacting on both plays, had a penalty in there. Where do you see him on the organizational depth chart? It you know, looks like Bruins' top six is set. We kind of figure Zaboral and Moore are probably your seventh and eighth guys. And then, you know, Vaganine somewhere after that, but like Jack Ashan has looked good this summer, both in Buffalo at the Prospects Challenge and training camp preseason. Uh, I know Brady Lyle is a guy whose stock is on the rise. Uh, you know, I saw that you had tweeted about him recently. Like, where does Vakaninen fit into all this? And are we getting to a point where it's time to like start wondering if he's going to be anything at the NHL level? Uh, you know, it's it's. I, I don't think we're at that point yet. But unfortunately for him, he's probably you know eight, nine, ten on the on the depth chart. I mean. Right now, we're we're seeing this kind of. I, I mean, I know it's just preseason, but we're seeing this almost kind of renaissance tour and, and revival of John Moore, who I think has looked great through two preseason games. And you know, he's healthy; he can move his 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 body again in the in the way that he was doing before his you know kind of hard injuries to deal with. And he looks good. So now you have John Moore, who's going to be a, a veteran presence that they'll rely on because. He's been here before, and he was signed for that deal, and, and that's why he's here. So he'll be in there for sure over Bakkenainen. Zaboral probably will be as well because Zaboral's not only looked better, but Zaboral has more experience at that level. And, you know, he's he's got that kind of ability to, to really take over a game, even if it's for a few seconds of a period. Uh, Bakkenainen, I personally would put behind someone like Jack Ashan right now. Yes, Vakanainen is a couple years younger, but Jack Ashan is just proving that he is a better player right now. Uh, there's no other way around it. His experience in the NHL, um, even through a couple games and training camp and preseason, he's out there every single shift. He doesn't take one off, and you never have to wonder if he's giving it his all or not because you can see it. Um, Brady Lyles, another guy, too, that has really piqued a lot of interest uh, in, in recent months and recent weeks. And I see it. You know, he's a guy who went undrafted. He's a similar age to Vakanainen. And he's 6'3", 210 pounds or whatever be it. And he can move that puck. You know, he can skate. He can create in the offensive zone and the power play. He can do a lot of things with the puck that, um, you know, you don't really see guys of, of his stature able to do. But when it comes to Brady Lyle, I see the disconnect across all three zones. You know, if he's starting out in the defensive zone, it's a bit different. And and if you look at the way he moves and covers the ice, it's not as fluid as the way that he moves through the neutral zone with the puck on his stick. 
um, or when he's in the attacking zone or he's set up on a power play or if he's running the point, you know, at five on five and, and they've got possession, he seems to be just not cohesive enough in his own end to make an impact in the NHL right now. So I think he'll definitely be behind Vakanainen right now, if I had a guess, especially since Vakanainen last year into the end of the season and into the off season was drawing praise from a lot of members of the Bruins organization and the brass who work up top in, in Boston, um, you know, saying that he's doing good in his development and they, you know, they felt that he took uh, positive steps. I personally didn't see it that way. I thought he was inconsistent last year. And unfortunately for him, I don't know if this is the reason or not, but you know, when he took that Borvieski hit, that elbow, he just hasn't seen the same since, um, you know, that was nearing three years ago now. And before that he was a 30 minute per night kind of guy in the league of playoffs for Saipa. So he was the guy and he had top 10 players in the league quote him in articles as, as the hardest to play against defensemen in all of the league, especially through the playoffs. So I don't know what exactly has happened. If it's just been a really tight transition for him or if it really was the injuries and, and he's had a couple more dings and, and nicks throughout the, you know, early days of, of Providence, but he just doesn't seem to have the same control or, or the same tenacity or, or, you know, the, the same stoutness in his own end. And, and I think we saw that last night, you know, he's never a type and he was never drafted as a type to be loose in his own zone. You know, he was supposed to be a, a, a Jonas Brodeen type from, from, the wild where you're looking at and, and you're saying, Oh, like he is a really fluid skater and he covers it at his own end and he gets the job done first in his own end and then looks to be a transitional type when he can. Uh, I just haven't seen enough of that consistently. He's got the wheels, he's got the handles on the stick, but the rest of it just doesn't seem to be there. Now look, he's only, he's only 22, you know, he'll be 23, um, next year, you know, I think he's got an early January birthday uh, off the top of my head. So somewhere around the, the first or second week of January, he'll be 23. And that's not really like a still out of reach uh, place for, for a player to, to go ahead and, and pull it all together. Um, especially if you look at someone on the Bruins himself being Jakob Zaboral, who is just now starting to come into his own as an NHL quality player. And that really only started last year. So, you know, he's, he's got a couple years on, on Vakanainen and, you know, he'll be, he'll be 25 around the same time that uh, Erho turns 23. So there's still hope there. I, I mean, it's just about finding a groove and, and finding what way for you makes you effective. And, and I just don't think he's had the experience yet to do that. So, but, uh, sorry, Anthony. <laughs> sorry to cut no, you off. No, that's um, okay. So I'll, I'll talk for 15 you, hours straight, so you've got to do it. <laughs> what you're saying is basically if the Bruins suffer some of the injury problems that they've suffered in the past few seasons, that you think it'll be Jack Ashawn that gets the first call-up um, if, you know, Zaboral or more aren't the ones that go up or if maybe they suffer injuries themselves. Uh, it's Jack Ashawn in your eyes. Yeah, and I and I think that's also to Jack Ashan's credit as well, because he is absolutely going to be the type this year that I think anyways is going to produce and play in such an effective manner in Providence that he's going to force the team to call him up. And, he, and he's kind of like a, a Tory Krug type and they have brought him up to Boston a few times. And 
in my opinion, he did look like that kind of a skater, and he could yeah. be, he, he could be in that role. So I agree with you there. I think he's looked good so far um, in his time with Boston and in the preseason so far. So uh, Scott, do you have any uh, final questions? No, I think we're good. This has been great. Yeah, Anthony, we appreciate you taking the time. Is there anywhere else that um, you know listeners can can see your work besides um, the Twitter account, or is that primarily where you uh, you you give us all your your insight? Uh, I am primarily on Twitter. Um, I'm I'm going to be on a, a podcast soon with uh, my co-host Colin, which is starting um, you know in, in the coming weeks, and that'll be publicized on Twitter too. But yeah, pretty much just Twitter. Um, and, uh, yeah, you guys can find me there, follow me, yell at me, do what you need to do. Awesome. Well, well Brian will yell at you if you say no, anything I, positive I, about Seneshin. <laughs> no, I, I'm actually uh, – see, Anthony, they're making me seem like some sort of, you know, um, bastard or something like that. Like, I'm, 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 I saw I'm, you post that gif. What, what gif? <laughs> the gif uh, that when you – something about Seneshin and you had the jumping – Oh yeah! Oh yeah! 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 yeah. Jumping off the cliff! Yeah. <laughs> um, you don't remember that? I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a very non-controversial person. Like I, I stay out of that stuff or confrontational, I should say. So um, I'm actually very nice to get along with. They're making me seem like a bad guy. I'm really not. Unless I just, yeah, they're not. They're not selling you really well here. <laughs> if you, if if you know me, I'm one of the nicest guys in this building. Oh really? Oh. I, unless you talk about Senishin, in which case you know we'll have some problems. But no, other than that, no, I, I'm, I'm sure he's a great kid. I want him to to be something. Um, it's just you know yeah, no, I, I get seen it, it yet, you know like, what I mean? you know yeah no and and I think part of that too is is and this isn't you know just a you thing it's just as a whole I I think too much we look at at everything in a vacuum and we look at things in in hindsight too much yeah there are people calling for certain picks on draft day but you know unless you're sitting there watching these guys yourself for you know sixty plus games a year you don't really know right so and and you know. Anthony Beauvillier on the Islanders, right? Great player. He's, he's turned into a middle six, uh, second line type guy. He was ranked four spots after Senechin in that draft. So who knows? You know, um, there's only so much you can do about it. But at some point, you know, spade to spade, and uh, we're, we'll see what's happening soon enough in that respect. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I saw um, you know, I saw videos of him last year in Marlboro. Um, you know, making good plays and making things happen along with Lauko and Steen. Uh, and so I was looking forward to you know seeing how that came together in camp, and I've seen it with Lauko and Steen, and in, in, in um, yeah. when they played in rookie camp, uh, the rookie tournament too. But with Zach, it's just it's unfortunately it's just he's not really I don't see it progressing. But I'm not watching him all the time like you like you have been over the over the years. Um, I just was hoping to see him kind of jump off the page like we see with some of these other kids. Um, I'm sure Cassidy and Sweeney were hoping for the same. But, well, Anthony, oh, yeah, we'll no, have to right. have you. We'll have to have you back on if Senishin cracks the lineup, and then we can we can hash <laughs> well, it out. <laughs> what Anthony said is true, though. Yeah. A, few, a few years ago, when when he did play um, with Coil, I, I, he did play well. Actually, it was very noticeable. Yeah. And and sometimes it's a lack of confidence when you're not having that that um, you know, you're not in the lineup all the time, or you're getting hurt or whatever. He did look good in those few games. Um, but you know, yeah, no, uh, but yeah, I mean, any, listen, anytime you guys want to have me on. Uh, Absolutely, feel free to, to reach out and, and we'll set it up. I mean, the, the USHL season's in full force now and the NCAA starting up, and obviously we'll have to keep an eye on Johnny Beecher and Mason Lorai as, as well as the other um, college kids, Trevor Kuntar and, um, you know, uh, Ty Gallagher. But, you know, whenever you guys uh, need someone to come on here and talk, you let me know. 
All right, Anthony, I'll definitely be texting you again at some point this season. <laughs> thank All you, right, Anthony. I we appreciate so. it, man. All right, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Have a good one. You too. All right, we are back, and thanks again to Anthony Kwiatkowski for joining us. Again, you can see his work on Twitter, the um, the Bruins Network. He always has prospect information and does video highlights of the Providence Bruins throughout the year and all that good stuff. So thanks to him for coming on. Bridget, Scott, we talked a lot about uh, Fabian Lysel, although I thought you guys may have called him Fabian, which is like a nice little fancy way of saying it. I thought it was Fabian, but... I've heard his name several different ways. Yeah. I don't know. At some point, we're gonna all have to collectively get that sorted out. Like <laughs> maybe he's pulling a Martian and switching his name every two years. Uh, or Tyler Sagan. <laughs> Sagan. 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 Uh, anyway, we talked about uh, Lysel for for quite a bit. So let's just you know recap some of the things that Anthony brought up about that and what jumps out to you. Well, f- so first off, I. Whenever, like, we talk about Bruins prospects, and I feel like whenever sort of just, like, the Bruins world in general talks about Bruins prospects, everyone is much higher on them than I think they should be. And, like, that's not to say, like, don't get excited. It's not to say that the Bruins don't have, like, impact players. But you'll notice, like, even when we're talking about all these guys with Anthony, like, we're talking about are they going to crack, like, the fourth line? Like, are they going to be depth players? And it's... So just like a couple reminders for me to, I don't know, call me a wet blank if you want, or like an offsetting weight here. exactly what I would call you. (laughs) Thank you. That's exactly exactly what I strive for. That's your new nickname. Um, But outside of probably Sonika and, yes, eventually Lysel for sure, we're not talking about guys who are making impacts high in the lineup. We're certainly not talking about that on defense. You know, we'll see about like a Mason Lori down the road or something, but... Um, the Bruins still, I think, really lack those high-level prospects. And then even the prospects who might, you know, make an impact as depth players, like, I can't help but keep coming back to this idea that actions speak louder than words, and the Bruins' actions this offseason were to go out and sign veterans to fill their depth roles on the third and fourth line. So we talk about all these prospects who look like they're just about ready or, you know, could help them this year or, or whatever. It's like, okay, well, the Bruins just went out. We're one of the few, like, con- cup contenders that actually had cap space to work with. And instead of, like, signing top players on the market, they signed depth. So that tells me, at least to some extent, they don't love the young players that they could have turned those roles over to. Um, now and maybe, then in turn had money to go out. And- yeah. Now maybe that's you know they just they had identified the third and fourth line as their biggest weakness from the playoffs, and they said we're not taking any chances. You know we're going to fill it with with guys we like who are going to bring the right attitude, offensive punch, whatever it is we're looking for. Maybe that's it. But the point remains is that you know they could have just had these kids battle it out because there's a lot like between. You know, all the guys we mentioned, Frederick, Lauko, Steen, Jesper Froden, who they bring over, uh, uh, who whoever, all the names that we've mentioned. All right, that's it for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, they, they could have had all those guys battle it out for, like, two or three roster spots. And and that would have given them the really flexibility yeah. to grab a second-line guy. Yeah, but and, to and, your they, point, and they didn't. So, yeah. you know, like, look, if those guys are ready... They'll get a chance. Like the Bruins, you know, 
even though, yes, they're loaded with one-way contracts, like, if they need to move someone out because someone proves that they're ready, they'll do that. But clearly they didn't have so much faith in them that, like, they were just going to let them battle it out and go, you know, spend the money somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, I think justifiably so. I mean, I think that speaks to, um, from an organizational standpoint, the, the lack of impact drafts up front that they've had um even at that depth position and so you know you hope that they could have drafted you know a little bit better more effectively and been able to spend money elsewhere like at the blue line or something like that but the fact of the matter is that they haven't and you know the the lightning you know they've won back-to-back cups and you know the bruins are probably looking at them and saying well they went out and they they paid for for coleman they went out they paid for goudreau barkley goudreau um, they went out, they paid for Patrick Maroon, all guys that were not homegrown players that went to their bottom six and helped them win two cups in about 10 months. Um, I think the Bruins look at uh, Eric Halla and Thomas Nosek, who were really good players, depth players. Actually, Halla may have been a top six when Vegas went to the finals. I think he was. But in any event, Nosek has been a staple on that Vegas fourth line, who's been a cup contender for three years, along with Ryan Reeves and uh, Carrier, maybe. Um, and you know, Nick Felino, like you said earlier, he's a captain in this league and he's going to, he's going to bring that, that, uh, he's a really good piece in that third line. So the Bruins identified a need. Yes, they had to pay for it, but so did Tampa. And you know what? Bergeron's not going to be around forever. So the Bruins love some, some pains in a few years, but right now it's, you know, it's the price of, of doing business, which is trying to win a cup. You know, I think we all are in agreement that. If they really want to win a cup, then there's going to have to be an improvement on the blue line at some point. But again, that's that's for, for later on in the season to figure out. I, I, we all think that their defense, as long as they can stay healthy, is good enough to tread water until at least you know the deadline. But um, yeah, it, I mean, Bridget, what are your thoughts on, on them having to go out and spend as opposed to at, as opposed to having homegrown talent on the bottom six? Well, I think Scott said it all, and... Even if these guys do end up cracking the lineup, they're not where they need to be in order to, you know, hold it down. I mean, even there was times last season where it it seemed like Jeremy Lozon and Jakob Saboral were slotted in but weren't necessarily um, 100% ready to take on that kind of a role. Obviously, Lozon's gone, Saboral's still there and will be um, a depth defenseman for them. But they're still in the same boat, right? They They need... I think personally they need a little bit more grit on defense. Um, and I think that they don't really have many good options going past John Moore on the depth the depth chart. We talked about it with Anthony Erhovakanainen. Not ready, in my opinion, to be on a team that is going to try to make a deep playoff run. I like Jack Sean for the future. Not the answer right now. So that's where they're at. Yeah, and I think, you know, Scott, maybe you have a different opinion. But I think on the back end this year... You know, you have your top six, which, just to reiterate, is um, McAvoy and Forbird and Carlo and Grizzly, Clifton, and um, uh, Riley. They've had that flip, so it's been Carlo, Riley, and Grizzly, Clifton. But personnel-wise, those are your six. Um, past them, I think you have three serviceable defensemen, two NHL defensemen, and John Moore and uh, Zaboro. Uh, once you get past them, like you said, Bridget, uh, Jack Ashan, like he give he can give you probably 10, 15 games if if need be. Um, after Ashan, it's probably Lyle, 
before Vakaninen. I mean, I don't know. I mean, uh, it, it, it does get thin. Yeah, it, it definitely could be. Lyle is uh, Brady Lyle, you know, a player who definitely needs more time in Providence, but like maybe by midseason he's there where if you're down that far, um, you know, he can get a chance and hold his own. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, you know, we kind of went through this last year where it's like, any team's going to be in trouble if you're getting down to your ninth or 10th defenseman. So It just happens to Boston every year, it seems like. <laughs> True. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, def- I look at Zaboral and Moore as, like, the keys in terms of D-depth because they're the ones who are going to start the season here. They're the ones who have, you know, those seventh and eighth spots. Those are theirs for now in- until or unless they lose them. And John Moore has played well so far this preseason. That looks faster. Yeah, I thought Zaboral looked solid. Um, Cassidy said he thinks Zaboral is practicing harder this year, which is encouraging. Um, and and uh, he played 42 games last year. So yeah. he has more experience than the other guys that are behind him. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, John Moore, I know it, he's easy to write off because, yes, his contract is horrible and has really never been good. He's battled a bunch of injuries, but like, as your seventh or eighth defenseman, he can do that if he's healthy. And he he's healthy right now. He's looked good in camp and in the first two preseason games. So you know, let's see if that continues. Let's see if he can stay healthy. Not having to play every day will obviously help in that regard. Um, but like, that's that can be a nice option to have off your bench. You know to plug in for a few games here and there as you need it. You know, he's not, again, he's not going to live up to that contract. So, like, block that out of your mind. Like, it's a bad contract. We all know it. That's what it is. He's also not, like, a total bum. Like, he has been a good NHL player in his career. We just haven't seen it in a few years, again, because largely because of injuries more than anything else. So, um, he can definitely help. And he's been playing a lot on the right side, which he's done before. Um, obviously, you know, in terms of right shot defense, when the Bruins are pretty thin, it's basically McAvoy, Carlo, Clifton, and then you would probably be down to Brady Lyle would be next. It's a lot of lefties, so someone's got to fl- switch over, and, and more can play both sides, so that helps too. Well, don't forget, uh, Adam McQuaid's back in the organization in player development, <laughs> so if they ever have to bring him back out of retirement, there's that <laughs> option too. But, um, all right, I... Before we go too long, I'm I'm all set for, for this. Did you have any closing thoughts, Bridget? No, I think we have plenty of time next week, probably Thursday, um, to get into the the remainder of the preseason games. Our thoughts on looking at it as a whole. Finally, get to see Felino and Coil, which would be nice. So a lot more to talk about then. Uh, I think we've talked about pretty much all we could talk about. With the rookies and and whatnot, because that's not who we're going to see in the regular season. I'm I'm excited to see you know a fuller picture of what the Bruins will look like. As am I, Scott. You good? All good. All right. So thanks for listening to episode 62. We'll be back uh, next week right? for Brad Marshine episode. Oh 63. yeah, 63. We'll be back next week. So yeah. So now that the season's back on, um, we are as well. So uh, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week.